to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to read there again from verse 1 uh, through to verse 7. And this week we'll just continue on with that theme that we were on last week. The house that Jesus is building. Hebrews chapter 3 and then after that uh, we're going to move over into John chapter 2. So Hebrews chapter 3 and then over into John uh, chapter 2. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together this morning. Father in the name of Jesus we come and we ask for your help. Lord we pray for your spirit to move among us today. We ask for your anointing upon both the preaching of your word and the hearing of your word. Lord, we pray for our hearts, Lord, to be tender, to be open. Lord, our lives to be willing in these days, O oh God, to make us the people that you want us to be, Lord, to glorify Jesus through our lives. Lord, we pray again, Lord, for your help, O oh God. We're asking, Lord, unless you come, Lord, unless you work by your Spirit, Lord, then it's merely an exercise of man. But, Lord, we know that you're willing and you're desiring to move amongst your people. So we pray, Lord, would you anoint your word. Lord, we're asking again for this nation, for this land. Lord, wherever your word is open this morning, we pray that you would anoint your servants, anoint your word. Lord, we're thanking you for the day of grace and mercy. Lord, we pray that you would continue to speak. And Lord, that you would glorify your son. Lord Jesus, we want to lift you up in these days. We want you to be glorified more than anything else. And so God, we're asking for that deep work and deep deep work of the Holy Spirit in all of our lives. Lord, make us more like you. Lord, we want to be like Jesus. Oh God, we need your power, your spirit to do that work. And Lord, give us pliable lives, oh God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 1, and then over into John chapter 2. Hebrews 3, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house has more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were, which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye will hear his voice. And you know that verse 5, sorry, verse 6, there is Christ as a son over his own house. The Bible says, whose house are we? This is his house this morning. Not the bricks, the mortar, and this roof, but the house of God are God's people who are born of the spirit of the living God. And we are his house, and he is the builder of this house. In John chapter 2, if you turn over 
John chapter 2 and verse 13, we're going to look at the Old Testament house. And here we see in the ministry of Christ, he came to what was known as the house of God that was built with those rocks by Solomon and developed over the years. And here in John chapter 2, Christ, now in the flesh, who would have visited this house and filled this house with his power, with his glory, with the Shekinah glory of God, now in human flesh, he comes to this house, John chapter 2 and verse 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the tables and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written by the prophet, The zeal of thine house has eaten me up. You know, as the Lord comes here in John chapter 2, fulfilling the scripture as recorded in verse 17, at that time, so we understand, but at that time of the glorious earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, this was the representation of everything of who God was, that temple and everything that was going on in it. And so it became a misrepresentation of everything of who God was and who he is. And so when Jesus, God's son, when he came in his earthly ministry and visited that temple, that temple was so far away from everything of what he was. And that's really what religion will do. It will blind us from seeing the reality of this Christ. And we can have the, the buildings and all the apparatus, but most importantly, more than anything else, we need the presence of Jesus Christ in our midst. We need the reality of God moving amongst his people. That's his desire. And so there was a complete misrepresentation of who God is and what he's about. And so when Jesus came we see in his life and in the very heart of God, because when you see him, you see the Father, you see everything of who God is. We see here that he had a zeal for his house. Now God himself has a passion for the house of God. God himself, Jesus Christ, has a passion over his people. He has a zeal for the people of God. He's a zeal for his house universal across this earth this morning. That is the passion of the Lord. In John chapter 2 then, just on down the verse, verse 19, Jesus said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, 40 and 6 years was this temple in the building. This was Herod's temple that had been rebuilt and added to. And it was one of the wonders of the world. And people were awestruck by this amazing structure. It, it was something, as you remember, even the disciples in Matthew 24, they bring the Lord out. They sit on the Mount of Olives and they said to the Lord, 
My Lord, look at the glory of this temple. Look at the wonder. Look, the, the, look at the architecture. And, you know, we love to see wonderful buildings and great architecture. It leaves us standing in awe. And as they stood there, the Lord, you see, was bringing the revelation to him of a house that he was going to build. And he was going to build a house, but it was going to be made up not of bricks and mortar. It was going to be made up of living stones. And so we see here in this, the Lord saying, you know, you'll destroy this temple. But in three days, now speaking of his body, the body of Christ, he would raise it up again. And not only was he to be raised up in his body, but his body being the church of Jesus Christ, the house that he would build, he would build it and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Here we see that Christ is saying, this structure, this whole system of what men are attracted to, the greatness of buildings and religion and all the rituals that men so often get engaged in and fall into in life, I've come to set you free from that. Where I am, where the Spirit of the Lord is, what is there? There's liberty. There's freedom, there's deliverance, there's joy, there's hope, there's peace in the Holy Ghost. I've come to build a different house, and it's not with bricks and mortar, but in that house, I'll be the glory of that house. Because remember, the builder receives the glory, not those that are in the building. And so we see here the Lord begins to show to them that he would be, as Peter says, the cornerstone. He was the architect of this house that he would build. He's the master builder. He would be the head of that body. And most importantly, this is really important, he would be the glory of that house. That everything that happens in that house would be for him and for his glory. And this great house that we're talking about this morning would be furnished, as we've said, with those precious and living stones. They are so much sought of, thought of and sought after that the master builder would give his life in order to purchase each of those stones individually and uniquely. That he would give his own life in order that he might have that stone. That's you this morning. That's me. If we're saved individually, that Christ loved us so much that he gave his life for us, that he would redeem us, and that we would become those living stones in that house. And he would have a passion and a zeal for that house. God has a passion for you. God has a zeal for his own house. And we see here, if you look at it in 1 Peter 2 and 9, Peter brings forth some of these revelations of how God individually wants to save us and then place us in that house. In 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, it says there that we are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are a peculiar people that we would show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So when he saves us and delivers us and brings us out of darkness into the marvelous light of God, we are here this morning to show forth the praises of God. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus, to sing his praises for what he has done. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 24, it says there that God 
God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he dwelleth not in temples made with hands, but yet we are instructed that we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now God in the new covenant, as we looked at it last week, on the basis of a better covenant with better promises, with a better sacrifice, that God then would dwell in our hearts through faith. And we collectively, as we come together, we become we become the house of God, a place where God's praise is sang and lifted up. And he comes down, the same God of the old, comes down by the power of his spirit into the house of God. And he fills this place with his presence and with his glory. And it's all for him. The prophet Malachi prophesied of this in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11. And this is what he said. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. You remember now when that dispensation came to an end, he came unto his own and his own received him not. We know that the blindness in part has happened to Israel in order that the Gentiles might be engrafted in. We are Gentiles. And we are born in darkness without hope, strangers to the covenant. But by the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been brought near. And we can enter into the promises of God through Jesus Christ. But here it says in the prophecy of Malachi 1 and 11, For, for from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And then it says these words, And in every place, Incense shall be offered unto my name. In other words, when we come together, that incense was pre, was, was, was prophesying of a time in that house when Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer. What would ascend from the house would be a sacrifice as unto the Lord. There'd be a sacrifice of praise and there would, there would be the incense. There would be the prayers of God's people and God's name would be lifted up. And they would offer a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. And in that house then, this house that Christ has a passion for, the house of God, in that house is so unique to every other house in this world. It's so unique to every other religious house that there is across this globe this morning. It's what makes it uniquely different to every other house there is, every other named religion. Because in this house, Psalm 68 shows us what that habitation of God would look like. Psalm 68 and verse 5, it says these words, In this house, my house, He says he would be a father to the fatherless. He would be a judge of the widows. As God in his holy habitation, God would take the isolated, the solitary, the lonely, the rejected. He would take them from that world and he would set them in to families. He would bring out those which are bound with chains and he would bring them into his house He would deliver them. He would break the chains of sin. He would love them. He would deliver them. He would keep them. This is the habitation of God in his house. In Romans 9 and 23, he says there, as we looked at it last week, that he would make known 
what the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he's prepared afore for the glory of God. And so, as we look at this this morning then, as those that are saved by the grace of God, to understand what God has done and what his purposes are, that when he saves us by his grace, when he individually has taken you, yes, it's a corporate thing, but first of all, it's an individual thing, even for those that are not saved this morning, that don't walk with the Lord. Understand this, that God has a passion for your life. God has a passion for your soul. It's not just a religious exercise on a Sunday morning. It isn't that, friend. It's not just going to church three times a week. God wants to bring you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He wants to reveal his son to you that he would save you, that he would open your eyes, that you would know the purpose and the calling of God in your life and bring you into his house and his banner over you as love and prepare a table before you, even in the midst of of your enemies, that God would make provision for you and then make you part of something that's so wonderful on this earth. It is the church of Jesus Christ. It's the body of Christ. He's the head and we're the body. He's the glory and he's the lifter of our heads this morning. And when we feel or fall into that place of ritual or religion, friends, then we lose something of the wonder and the glory of what this really is. He is a father to the fatherless. He is a judge of the widows. Is God in his holy habitation. And he takes the lonely, the solitary, and he brings them into the family of God and makes them part of something that's so much greater. Is that not good news? Is that not an answer to a broken world in lockdown, isolated, people not knowing where to turn? Is that not the answer that they come in to the house of God and feel there's something different? It's different. It's God's house. Now we find something wonderful in this house as we looked at it last week. He's the son over his house. And the Bible says, whose house are we? The house that he's building is made up uniquely of every person that's saved in this room. Every person that's saved in this room is made up of you, but if you would just like to glance across the room, it's made up of everyone else in this room that's saved by the grace of God. This is God's house. When you look at what God has done in the lives of the people around you, God's building his church. He's building his people. And it's a glorious thing what he's doing. If you really knew what I was, there probably wouldn't be too many people sitting here this morning, but I'm saved by the grace of God. If I really knew what you were, then I might look at you slightly different. I might, I hope I wouldn't. But by the grace of God, God has saved you. God has brought you out of darkness. And God's done a wonderful work in your life. And so by God's grace this morning, we then are brought into the family of God. May we never look down on anybody because there by the grace of, there but for the grace of God go any of us in this room. Some might have been deep in sin, some may not. But I tell you friends, that religious pride is as worse as a drug addict. 
And God saves people that are filled with religion. And he saves people that are full of drugs. But he saves them by his grace and brings them into his house. He breaks their chains. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a judge. He's a righteous judge. And God cares for his people. This is the house of God that Jesus is building. And may it be a true representation of everything of who he is. In Mark chapter 9, you see, we're going to look at this morning at what makes the house great. And people might have a lot of ideas of what makes this house great. Could I say something in case people feel they're, they're not maybe just hearing me right, but a house can have great preaching, great praying, and great singing and be a great house. It can also have those things and not be a great house. You understand what I'm saying? It can have a great facility and it still can be a great house. But it can have a great facility and not be a great house. And what makes it great? What really is it that makes the house great? What is it this morning that if you were to look at a fellowship or a church or a local assembly and say, what makes that place great? What is it that's great about it? Now, of course, all of us would say, well, the presence of the Lord, so that's important. That's everything. But what makes it great? How does it be great? How does it become great? Well, in Mark chapter 9 and verse 35, Jesus sits down with his twelve. And he said unto them, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and the servant of all. What makes the house truly great is that the life of Jesus Christ is seen in his followers as servants. If this really is it, friend, if there's anything else that really that that you look for, if you desire to be, if there's anything else, friends, this is it. Really, this is that. If, if you want to really know what it really is all about, this is it this morning. We live the way that he wants us to live, and we love the way that he wants us to love. The greatness of the house is known by how much of this life of Christ is practiced in reality. That's what makes it great. That really this is what we are. That this is the reality of our lives. That we truly are followers, Christians, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit moving in our hearts with a heart that is sincere in truth. And actually... This really is what worship is. This is what glorifies him more than anything else. This is really what honors the Lord Jesus Christ more than anything else. Now we truly live like he lived. What does that mean? Well, here's some questions that I want to put to you this morning. And let me tell you from the start, I believe that all of us just need God to move in our hearts because we're not like him yet, but we will be. But we're going to be like him one day. But I do want to be like Jesus, do you? Is that not the whole thing of our lives? We want to be like him? Well, let me ask you some questions. Do you love like Jesus loves? Is that how we love? You know, the Bible says that the Holy Ghost, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. 
And Jesus said these words, if you turn to John 13 and verse 35, the question is, do we love like he loves? John 13 and verse 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples or you're my followers. If ye have love one to another. This is the love of God. This is the real love of God in our hearts. That there's a love. There's a love for the body. There's a love for the brethren. There's a love. There's a love. A sincere love for all. Oh God. Baptize us with your love. You know. God do a work so deep in our hearts. That it will be a love. That has no limits. And it will be a love out of a sincere heart. That loves all. And loves all freely. You know, I've heard it said too many times, and really I don't want to hear it anymore, but I hear people say all the time, I do love them, but I don't have to like them. It's just not biblical. It's just not real. Actually, it's a bit of a cop-out. Because the love of God, the true love of God, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It was a love for all, and that's a love that should fill our hearts. Let me ask you a second question. Just this morning, you don't have the answer, but in your heart, I know as I went through it, I was saying, Lord, I fall short. Would you give me more? But the second question is, do we forgive like he forgives? Anybody been forgiven here? Just about five. I think we've been forgiven much. But look what it says in Mark 11, verse 25. Mark eleven twenty five. Do we love like him? Do we forgive like him? Mark eleven twenty five says, When you stand praying, forgive. If you've ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. You know, there's a forgiveness that I often hear said, and you'll have heard it too. I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. I'm thankful this morning that God's not only forgive me, but this morning he remembers my sin no more. Isn't that good? Isn't that good news? Is that the type of forgiveness there is in the church today? Is that the type of forgiveness? I mean, I know we're, we're getting in on areas here that are deep in us, but I tell you, this doesn't drive me away from God. This causes me to fall at the feet of Christ and say, Lord, make me what you want me to be. I don't run from God. I don't feel condemned. I just say, Lord, I know I fall short, but praise God, you're doing a work. And there's a great song, and it says, he never throws the clay away. Are you happy for that? Do we forgive like he forgives? Do we have his mind? Do we have the mind of Christ? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Look at the mind of Christ. Philippians 2 and verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Is that your mind? Is that how you love? Is that how I love? Is that how I forgive? Is that how you forgive? Is that the mind that you have? Is this the mind that's in you? 
This is really what it is, the practical aspect of being a Christian. This is what makes the house great. This really makes it great this morning because we are living the way he wants us to live. We're glorifying him through our lives. This is what brings worship and glory to his name. But do we have that mind that we're made of no reputation and we take on the form of a servant? Is that really our lives? Is that what we are as believers, as followers, as disciples of? This is discipleship. This is really what it means this morning. Let me ask you another question. Do we love like him? Do we forgive like him? Do we have his mind? Here's another question. Do we have his mouth? Do we have the mouth of Christ? Do we speak the way he wants us to speak? Look at 1 Peter 1, 1 Peter 2, sorry, in verse 21. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter 2, 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. What does he say? That ye should follow his steps. We should actually follow him in this way. Who did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Is this truly the life? Is this the life that we are called to live by the power of the Holy Spirit? Is this truly the true religion? Is this really the house that Jesus is building? Is this what he's looking for in those that follow him? To have his mouth, to speak the way he wants us to speak, to say the things that he wants us to say. We know this morning that so often we fall short in these areas, but by the grace of God, then we say, Lord, would you do something in my heart and in my life? Take me to a different level. And all of this because we want the house to be great for your glory and for your honor. Do we have his kindness? The kindness of Jesus. Ephesians 2 and verse 7 says there that in the ages to come, he would show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Has Jesus been kind to you? Think about, has, has Jesus been kind to you, brother and sister? Think about that for a moment. Has he been kind to you? There's really no one like Jesus. Has he been patient with you? Has he been long-suffering? Has he been gentle with you? Has he been gracious with you? Hasn't God been good to his people? But then this is the life that we then are to display. Look at 2 Peter 1 and verse 5. 2 Peter 1 and verse 5. This is what we are to live our lives like and add to our lives. This is what we are to look after and seek after. 2 Peter 1 and verse 5 says, And beside this, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and the patience, godliness, and the godliness, you're to add brotherly kindness, and the brotherly kindness, charity. For if, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not a powerful verse. 
If these things be in you, so much of what the church has become today is what you do. But these are the things that should actually be in us as servants and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. It's there because we can live this way. It's not, a, it's not a carrot on a stick. It is the Lord saying, this is the life that I want you to live. But I'll not leave you without a comfort. I'll give you the comfort and he'll enable you by the grace of God to live this life and to live it to the full. And this is what the fullness looks like. This is really what it is. Being kind. You know, the Bible says that we bite and devour one another. Take heed that you be not consumed. Really, what comes out of our mouth, what's in our mind, what our conversation is, how we deal with each other, how truly that we walk this life as a believer, it's truly what it is. This is what makes the house great. It really does, friends. It's not so much that there's a great message this morning. It really is, are we going to live a great life for Jesus and glorify his name? It really is down to... This is the nuts and bolts of Christianity. This is what makes it real. Do we have his hands? And do we have his feet? You know, we looked at it last week. Do our hands deal the bread to the hungry? Or do our hands just basically end up pointing the finger at each other about who you are and what you have done? Are our feet, the, the feet that carry the gospel and the good news and, and good tidings to to the people that are around us, are our feet the things that carry us from house to house, just the loose talk that devours and ruins the house of God and ere the light in the temple will ever grow dimmer. Really, friends, this is what makes the house great. This is what makes it great. And so many are caught up with, like in the days of the temple, the building and the facility, and all the things, and all the bells and whistles. But this really, when we come to the throne of God, this is really what he's looking for. People that are servants, people that love one another truly, people that are not partial in their love. That there's only certain people that I will interact with, but there's others I will not. That is not the love of God. There's only certain people I'll fellowship with. There's only certain people I'll make a meal for, but I couldn't make a meal for him. That's not the love of Christ. That's just the love of man, but the love of God. His house is demonstrated to us by himself in John chapter 13. I want you to turn to it. I'll be closing in a few minutes with this passage. John 13, reading from verse 1. And really, this is what it's all about, friends. Right here, John 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. We can take great encouragement this morning that he's going to love us right to the very end. He's going to love us right to the very end. You may not feel strong. You might be weak in faith. You might have failed. You may not know where to turn this morning. I can tell you, friends, of a truth. There is a love this morning that's unlimited. And Christ loves us right even to the very end. He knows that his time has come. He's going to leave his followers. 
He's going to leave his disciples. They're all with him. He knows the time has come. He's going to the cross. He's going to fulfill the mission and the desire of the Father. He's going to willingly lay down his life. He knows this is it. So what example? What is the last impression that he would want to give them? What is it that he would want to portray to them about this gospel, this kingdom, this life, this house that he's going to build, this glory that he's going to reveal, the mercy of God? What would he want to leave with them? What would he want to impress upon their hearts and their minds? What this whole kingdom is all about? Supper is now over. And it says, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. Here it is, friends, right at this moment. I mean, it is a powerful, it is a powerful reading to read this. Here is Christ at supper with his twelve. He knows now that the devil has entered into the house, into the heart, sorry, of Judas Iscariot. Judas was about to betray him. And now he's about to leave this world. He's going to the cross. He knows it's before him. The cup was coming. The hour had come. Gethsemane was before him. All the brutality of that cross that we can never, never take in. And no Hollywood picture would ever be able to portray it. Of what was about to happen. Here it is the son of God. And he wants to leave something into the heart of his followers. To say this is what my kingdom is. And we read so often of these men. Because in reality. When we read about them. I'll just say from my point of view. I'm so like them. I don't want to offend anybody. But I really am. Because you see it in their conversation. It's recorded in scripture. You see how they interacted with each other. You see the sons of thunder. You see the doubts of Thomas. You see the passion in the flesh of Peter. You see all the things that are going on. You see all the manipulation. You see everything that's happening amongst the twelve. You see the devils entered into the heart of Judas. Judas wants the money. And now we see everything is coming to a climax. And Christ has one thought, he's going to that cross for you, and he's going to that cross for me, and he's going to the cross for them. And he wants to leave an impression on their hearts. What is this kingdom that we're a part of, this great house? What is this really all about? And then it says in verse 4, and he rises from supper, and I want you to read those five words that come next. And laid aside his garments. I mean, friends, if you ever want to see something so wonderful and so glorious right here, if you spend just a few moments and meditate on those few words, he rises from supper and he laid aside his garments. I mean, what that says to us is that at this moment that Christ was about to lay aside Lay aside everything of his rights. Everything of what was his rights. And he was about to lay them all down in order for the sake of you and I. You know, he laid aside the splendor and the glory. Isaiah said he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train, his royal robes filled the temple. He laid aside those royal robes and came into this world and took upon himself flesh. And then here in this room... We see him again. He's laying aside everything of who he is. 
And he's about to put an impression upon them. He went to the cross and he laid down his life for you and I. And praise God, he rose again on that third day. And here he lays aside the garments. He takes off everything of this life. You know, friends, just to be so honest this morning, really, it's laying aside all the pretense It's laying aside all the rights. It's laying everything aside because, friends, we have no rights. Do you know what he did? It says he took a towel. And here really is what, this is it. Christ wanted to leave an impression on his followers. He takes a towel and he girded himself After that, he poured water into a basin. Think about it, friends. For a moment, it's very difficult to grasp. The creator of all the heavens and the earth is now on his knees with a towel and with a basin. And he's washing the feet of men who were arguing over where they were going to sit, who were doubting who he was, who were telling them what he should do who were planning to betray him with 30 pieces of silver. And where's the Lord? He's on his knees with a basin and he's washing their feet. And as he goes round the disciples' feet, he wipes them. You think about it for a moment. And the towel, then he cometh to Simon Peter. Many people love Peter. I love Peter in the Bible. You see him warts and all. Then he cometh to Simon Peter, and he said on, and Peter said unto him, Lord, I mean, you're not going to wash my feet. Think about it for a moment. The Lord's on his knees at the feet of Peter. And Peter's sitting there going, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Was this a false humility? Was this a genuine, Lord, you shouldn't be doing this because you're our master, you're our Lord, you're our rabbi, you're our great teacher. Lord, you shouldn't be on your knees. What's the Lord showing him? Peter, this is the life. This is what it is to be a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is really what this whole thing's about. Peter says, will you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter said unto him, Look what he says, You'll never wash my feet. Jesus answered and said, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. And Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, listen, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. Do you know what I want to say this morning, friends? Do you know what I want? If it's for nobody else, but you know what I want this morning? I want them to wash my hands and wash my feet, wash my head, and wash me afresh. Do you know what Peter wanted? He said, Lord, you're just not going to do my feet. But I know this morning what I am. I need washed. I thank God this morning, friend, listen, there's blood. And the wee hymn says, wash me. O Lamb of God. You see, I want my hands washed. Why? Just so I can feel clean? No. 
I want my hands washed because I want my hands to be his hands. You know, I want my mind washed. Why? Because seeing the mind this morning, friend, all in the outward may be something so different, but seeing the mind this morning, there could be so many things in that mind, so much clutter in that mind, so much thoughts in that mind, so many things going on in that mind. But you know what we need? We need our minds washed. We really need our minds washed. We need our hands washed. We need our hearts cleansed. Anybody need their heart cleansed afresh? Do you want to be washed afresh? Lord, we need our feet washed. Why? Because we want our feet to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to the solitary, to the lonely, to the fatherless, to the broken. This is really what it is. This is real. And Peter said, Lord, this not my feet, Lord, would you just wash me all? Cleanse me afresh. Make me a vessel that's made for the master's use. I want to be that vessel. Peter's honest. He might have made a few blunders, but at least he was honest. He said, God, I need you. Wash me afresh. Jesus said unto him, verse 10, He that washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew he would betray him. Therefore saith he, ye are not clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments, and was sat down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Do you understand what I'm doing here? That's what he's saying. Coming to a close, this is really, this is really it. Do you really know what I'm doing? That's what Jesus is saying. Do you understand what I'm doing this morning? He had just went around. They had just witnessed the creator of the heavens and earth incarnate in flesh on his knees with a basin and a jug and a towel and he would grind their feet and wash them. Do you really get that this morning? Says, do you understand what I'm trying to show you? Do you really grasp what this is going to be about? What my kingdom is? But Lord, we thought that you were going to restore again the kingdom of Israel, but that's not for you to know. The times and the seasons that are committed into the Father's hands. But Lord, are you going to take the whole of Jerusalem? Are we going to fight? Peter, put away your sword. You don't understand my kingdom. You don't know what, what spirit you're off. This is a spiritual kingdom, but I tell you how we're going to go forward. You're going to go forward by the example that I'm going to set you. I got down on my knees and I washed your feet. Can I ask you something, friend, this morning? Would you have any reservations? Would you have any reservations with anyone in this room washing your feet? I know people make it a ritual in churches today. We don't want it to be a ritual. And I don't have a basin and a jug under this. Everyone's panicking there. Their wives are saying that you put your clean socks on, not the ones with a hole in the toe. I get all that there. There's no jug and basin. I'm not going to do it, but I would do it. But would you wash everyone's feet? Do you know how this is materialized over the church age? It may not be jugs and basins and tiles. And maybe it should be, because that's the example that he left us. But are you comfortable? Are you comfortable in everyone's house? Are you comfortable with anyone coming to your door? Will you have anyone for tea? 
Is your house really open? Is your table really served? For whoever comes to the back door, good to see you come in, have a cup of tea. Or is it just the ones, to go back to an earlier statement, just the ones I like. I love lid. Here come a lid. James, not too sure. I don't mean that, by the way. We all think that that would never come into the church of Jesus Christ. I really think we need to be real. He says, No, ye what I've done to you. You call me Master and Lord, and you say, Well, for I am your Master and Lord. That's what he's saying. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, he says this, For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. I tell you, friend, I thank God for the great love that there is in this small fellowship. I really say that. I mean that. I don't say it. Just I actually do mean it. God has blessed us with a great group of believers that love the Lord have the same desire for the Lord. I know that, and I know it to be true. But I tell you, friends, we haven't arrived. I do want to know this Christ, and I do want to be like this Christ. That's what's going to make this house so great. And yes, and I love it, we can have great, and I believe it's so important, the Word of God central, great preaching. Prayer meetings, this house will be a house of prayer. We need to pray and seek the Lord. The worship in this house, the singing is absolutely wonderful. It's anointed. But I tell you what makes the house great. That we live the life exactly the way he lived it. That's what makes it great. When it all ends up, you know, one day... There's something wonderful about this house. Maybe not get to this, but I'll leave it, leave it with you this morning. Just meditating on it earlier this morning, but there's something wonderful about it. You see, this gathering this morning is such an amazing thing because we're gathered. We're the house of God. He's the glory of the house. He's the head of the house. He's the cornerstone of the house. He's the minister of the house. It's wonderful. But this house will one day, and I believe very soon, suddenly be translated, like in a moment, that all of this earthly, this earthly tabernacle, just like a tent, if you've ever been camping, and you pull the pegs, and the tent collapses, one day God's just going to pull all the pegs, don't drive them down too deep, whatever you do, keep them lightly in, because he's going to pull all the pegs of the tent, the tent's going to fold up, and suddenly the whole house is going to be transported right into the glory of his presence, and we'll ever be with him, and praise the Lord, we'll be like him. Just in a moment. What a glorious house. Friend, this morning, do you need washed? Thank God we can be washed this morning. Don't run out the door feeling condemned. We can be washed this morning. We can say, Lord, I know I'm not what I used to be. Praise the Lord. And praise the Lord, you're going to make me and conform me into your image. But I'm willing this morning to lay my life before you to say, Lord, wash me afresh. 
Friends, come to this fountain. Let's live that life for him. Let his glory fill the house by the fact that we live the way he wants us to live. Let's stand together this morning.